1,000 years of secrets revealed from the Jerusalem Crusades to the death of JFK. Join me and my guests, Paul Fitzgerald and Elizabeth Gould, as we explore the valediction right here, right now on VT Radio. Let's go with host Johnny Punish. Okay, we're back on VT Radio with guests Paul Fitzgerald and Elizabeth Gould from the cold weather of the north of uh, Boston area. Uh, I think they're buried under about 100 feet of snow. But before we get to them, I want to say a big shout out to VT members Bill Cowell and Geezer. They joined us on buymeacupofcoffee.com. That's our new platform that we use for membership and donations. I want to say thank you to them for reaching out and helping us out. They both joined as monthly members, paying $8 a month uh, to help us out. That's a big deal because, you know, as you know, we don't have any advertisers. I mean, we've been banned by every advertiser in the book. So, you know, over 18 years, we've been canceled by everybody. We're the original canceled people. So uh, <laughs> when we get help from readers and listeners uh, like like Bill Cowell and Geezer, we appreciate it. Uh, if you're listening to this, Please don't forget to join us on buymeacoffee.com. You can see it on VT. Uh, just go to any article on the right side. You'll see where it says join. You can donate just a one-time deal if you want to, or you can become a member, a monthly member. So but so having said that, I also want to say a big shout-out to my mother. Uh, my mom uh, regretfully passed away 39 years ago today. Um, it's important because in our family, that's a big deal. As you can see behind me, that's the painting that she painted in 1982 when our guests were hiding out in Afghanistan. Okay, so I'm very proud of our mom, uh, my mom and uh, all of my kids and all my grandkids today. If you're out there, say hello. Uh, we lit a candle for her today, and we always remember our pa our, our mom, who uh, was a great person. And she was originally born in Haifa, Palestine, 1939, emigrated to the United States in 1961, and was a great lady. So just wanted to say that real quick. And let's get to our guest. We're going to talk about JFK and why the JFK assassination was a pivotal point uh, in history and uh, Paul and, and Elizabeth will explain that, uh, and we're going to talk about that right now. So, Paul and Elizabeth, are you there? We are. We are here. Fantastic. Okay. Hey, so how's it going over there? Are you guys freezing or what? Well, actually, um, you know, we're not going to complain about uh, mid-40s. It's not too bad. Uh, you know, some people want a lot more snow. We actually don't have much at all. Well, you're coming out of the cup. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said our grandkids came to visit us to get some snow yeah. from Los Angeles, and there was no snow to, to have. And they went back the day they arrived. They got an enormous amount of snow. In so, Los well, Angeles. In Los Angeles. <laughs> oh, in Los <laughs> Angeles. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's get right to it. JFK, tell us why this is a pivotal point. I know you wrote that article on VT uh, from Jerusalem crusade to the holy grail to the death of jfk it's a huge article it's got a, a thousands and thousands of reads you can look it up on vt we'll put a link to it right here uh tell us go ahead and start with us uh tell us what's that about well the article really uh, what we're trying to do uh, we should you know just back up a teeny bit um paul is actually a fitzgerald who's done a lot of research into the fitzgerald family and we've written a book called the valediction Three Nights of Desmond and the Valediction Resurrection, which is a memoir, which really includes a lot of the background of the family history. And we were uh, really trying to figure out what it was about the JFK legacy that was so important and longstanding. I don't know how many times I've heard so many people say over and over again, something happened when he died. It's never come back. So 
part of what we began to do as we did the research into the Fitzgerald family history was connect to what it was about the, the family itself that eventually revealed itself in JFK and where that came from and the history that goes back to uh, even before uh, the, the Norman invasion of Ireland, which was basically a Fitzgerald invasion, you know, it goes back to the 10th century and the marriage of the first Fitzgerald, Gerald of Windsor and Nesta, who's considered to be a grail princess. And, and, and so when we began to put it together at a geopolitical level and came you know, face to face, of course, with what most people are concerned about is really, um, you know, why, you know, what really caused the death of JFK? Why did they assassinate him? But very few people seem to ever know the deeper historical motivations that might have played a role in actually triggering the assassination, that it isn't just about the politics of the day you're in. There are, there are ancient ties that go back to ancient events and they are motivations for a certain class of people. And ancient feuds, too. And I mean, exactly. the Fitzgerald family, you know, uh, migrated over the course of the centuries from Italy into France and then eventually to the Norman conquest of England in 1066. So you're talking about stuff that goes back into the, you know, uh, way back into the, the, the first millennia. Uh, uh, of AD, uh, you know, that were in which you've got political feuds, you've got family feuds that go on, and none of that is is counted into the you know the authorized history, uh, and so the the authoritative stories all deal with geopolitics and political theories, things like that. But you've got a whole, you've got other layers of involvement that are very significant, especially when you come down to. You know the, the 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 war between the Gnostics and the Roman Church. That was a big issue. The the heresy, the various heresies that were you know that were turned into heresies by the various councils, the Council of Nicaea, the Council of Trent, various things in which some of these knighthoods were actually determined to be heretics. You had to, you were one you were on one side of the church one day and on the other side the next day. So this was going back, you know, going back to the, the 12th century, the 11th century. And, uh, and so as a result of that, you had a lot of different, eventually you had the Reformation and the struggle between the Protestants and the Catholics, between Rome and between London. And so that played a significant role in, in the future that we're living in right now. There are hidden agendas that are, that are afoot. I'd like to add that we actually had a letter uh, based on an article that we had written about the Fitzgerald family history and questioning the revenge and retribution cycle that we felt was the justification going back into that history uh, where uh, the Fitzgeralds were considered aligned with Rome and basically the Elizabethans considered that to be treason practically. So that's part of the origin of this actual uh, fight that was very much represented by the Masonic influence in America that were definitely coming from Church of England, and um, and this Roman Catholic who came in, uh, you know, to basically challenge, uh, you know, who should run the United States. I mean, I remember, you know, when he was running for president, uh, there was many people who felt he would be controlled by Rome. That was right. one of the right. talking points at the time. Um, so, you know, a lot of people though wouldn't realize that the um, actual motivation today could include events that took place 700, 800 years ago and continued. 
And we got a communication from someone who announced to us in this communication that he was a heretic and that there was, you know, that they needed to assassinate JFK. They did, meaning that these these would be the ones who go back a thousand years with their revenge and retribution justification. Um, and 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 literally laid out all of the crimes the church had committed and why this country was created as a safe haven against Rome. So to them, they literally felt this was an invasion. This would have been, you know, five years ago when this letter arrived. And this is this is someone justifying that assassination today with that information. So I Incredible. think we have to factor these things in. Yeah. You know, I, I remember my dad, uh, JFK was assassinated when I was born. I was born in October of 63. He was assassinated a month later. I was just a little, you know, an infant. But I remember my dad talking about, you know, him being Roman Catholic and how that was a, a thing back in the day, as you described. It was a really yeah. big issue in America. Now, today we had Bernie Sanders run for president. He's uh, Jewish. Um, it wasn't that. It was kind of a thing, but wasn't a big deal. No one really made a big deal out of it that I, I can remember. But JFK was a huge deal because he was Roman Catholic. He, would, he was the first Roman Catholic ever elected, and that was huge, right? I mean, can you get into that more? How upsetting was that to the, to the, the world order? Well, you know, <clears throat> uh, many, many years ago, uh, probably 50 years ago, I met, uh, I met with someone from uh, – he was a producer from New York. I was in a local show, and he was one of the producers – and he, he kind of pointed out to me, he said, you know, the Fitzgeralds were never really accepted at, at, in legitimate Boston society. And he pointed, he didn't say the Kennedys, he said the Fitzgeralds. And that goes back to <clears throat> the fact that, you know, I am connected to that branch of the Fitzgerald family. Uh, my grandfather and JFK's grandfather were cousins uh, back in Ireland. Uh, the family it is a long history, as Liz pointed out. It goes back to, in Ireland specifically, it goes back to 1169 and the, the Norman, the Anglo-Norman invasion of Ireland. And the Fitzgerald family were a, a large part of that. They were uh, Castellans for uh, King, uh, King Henry II uh, and, uh, and King Henry I as well as King Henry II. And so as a result of that, they, they and William the Conqueror as well, so they were very much in the in the foundation of what was Protestantism in in, um, in 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 Britain during that time period, and so over the course of years they became very powerful in Ireland and became to become a a uh, a, a kind of force of their own. And basically, uh, in fact, there was a knighthoods in the family: the Green Knights, the White Knights, and the Black Knights. And it turns out that my branch of the family were were connected to the Black Knights, ironically. So it's, it's almost like a, it was kind of a, a symbolic gesture. I had had dreams, actually, with Black Knights. And I thought to myself, what the heck, back in the 90s when I was doing a lot of screenwriting, I'm saying, what am I getting these dreams for? Where, where are they coming from? So I was really kind of, you know, feeling very strange about it. And then eventually we were able to make the connection. Ironically, we weren't even realizing. We were following a path uh, to a kind of revelation about that. And so, was it in your subconscious? Uh, we, Is that where you felt it? Well, I, we were certainly tapping into something. I mean, when you write screenplays, I mean, you're writing, it's almost like a dream. It's been told, it's been said that David Lean, the great film director in the 1950s and 60s, he, 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 he actually said that, you know, he, he finally figured out how to write a good screenplay. So when he realized it was a dream, but he meant that, I think, in a sense that it really is. If you can, 
you can get this dreamlike quality. And uh, when you start to write, sometimes you just, you know, the writing just works. It just all of a sudden, you know what to say. And it's like, it's almost as if it's a, it's almost a mystical kind of thing where you're tapping into, you know, a voice that is, is just telling you this is the experience and this is how you should describe it. One of the things that we uh, found very helpful was when Paul did have this dream and it became a major character right. in what we were writing at the time. Uh, the Black Knight actually became a, a kind of um, mystical character. It became a metaphor. A metaphor for what we were what trying, we're trying to, say. to do. And and but what we really discovered was that very few people have the opportunity to actually affirm these kinds of messages that come through a dream. But in Paul's case, because there is this thousand year history of the Fitzgerald family and that there are Fitzgeralds, you know, alive in the current era. And in this case, we met um, the Fitzgerald who was still carrying the Black Knight uh, lineage. He was, in fact, it, it, the lineage actually was going to end with him. And he turned out to live very close to uh, Paul's family in Abbey Fail in Ireland. And we were given the opportunity to meet with him. And it was, you know, I mean, so so that is what, what, what I'm trying to let people know is even if you can't affirm where these dream signals are coming from, never assume that it isn't from some kind of authentic interaction. You just may not be able to know for sure where it is. And it does help. I mean, there's no question, you know, when you can get that affirmation. But, you know, so few but people I, today can go back a thousand years. I had know. always been motivated by it since I was a, a kid, you know. I had, uh, in, I used to, I had painted, I, I had uh, a Stingray bicycle when I was about 10 uh, years old. And I, the old Stingray. I painted my, Got it. Yeah, you remember those, right? Schwinn, I had a gold wasn't it Schwinn? Really <laughs> yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, I loved that thing. I, I tooled all over town in it. And uh, I painted the, the Fitzgerald emblem, the X, the red X, which is the, the symbol of the Fitzgerald family, which is, of course, a crossroads as well as being the, the symbol of, it's also the symbol of St. Patrick. So the British actually wound up putting the X, the red X and the British flag is, was put there because the Fitzgeralds were the premier peer of Ireland. They were the first family of Ireland, put it that way, okay? And so, uh, you know, so I, I, I didn't know any of that at the time. I just had this urge to know more about the family. And and, 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 a, and an aunt of mine, my father's sister, would every time we'd visit, she'd tell me about how the family came to Ireland with Strongbow, uh, this Earl uh, Earl of Pembroke, and, and and the wars that they waged with the, the Welsh, and then the, how the invasion of Ireland in 1169. So, you know, there were all these kind of, fantastic things in my mind about it, you know? And and the more we actually probed into this thing, the more we realized there was a, a long factual history that was provable. In fact, Trinity College uh, in Dublin actually put out a, a book a number of years ago, six or seven years ago, about that exact thing, about the Fitzgerald family and the legacy of the Fitzgerald family. And what asking the question, there were seven or eight different uh, academics involved in the process, and they were asking the question, why is their legacy so long-lasting? Why are they still so, why, you know, why do football teams call themselves the Fitzgeralds, you know, or the Geraldines yeah, or whatever, yeah. okay? That's the family name is the Geraldines. Well, that's all part of what we were actually connecting in terms of why JFK still had such a powerful hold. What was it that he was drawing on? 
And when you go back into not just the history of the Fitzgeralds, but you go back to the mythology about the Fitzgeralds, you realize that there is something very powerful, that myths are not just made-up stories. Myth, myths are actually a, in a, like an embodiment of an actual person who lived. And in the case of the Fitzgeralds, we know the name of this individual. He was Gerald Fitzgerald. He was born in 1338. He was the son of Maurice, who was the son of the first Fitzgerald. He was actually mythologized to become Gayardi Arla, which is the Gaelic name for Gerald Fitzgerald. He was the product of the goddess Anya and Maurice. And so that gave you know, us an establishing concept about how myths are created. He lived for real, but he also became a myth. And as time went on, Gayardi Arla became the mythological savior for the Irish people that would return in, in any generation that the Irish people needed to be helped against, uh, you know, empire, <laughs> you know, or the, the, the English or the British, whoever it was. And that's can, can, can you can you tell me doing. geographically where are we talking about in Ireland? Because Ireland's a big it's a big island, right? Is it the whole thing? Is it well, somewhere geographically where you're from? Well, they, there's two branches of the of the Fitzgerald family. There's one around Dublin, and then the Desmond branch, of which I'm I'm a part, is southwestern Ireland. Okay, south and so it's western it's, Ireland. Known as Mun South Munster. Okay, I think that's what Desmond means translates to in Gaelic. Self-Munster. And so you're talking some of the most mystical, uh, beautiful uh, uh, landscape, uh, uh, seacoast. Um, it, it's just absolutely wonderful. And the people themselves, of course, if you drive from, uh, we attended 1997, we went back with the whole family and we visited and I drove the, I drove the blue Toyota Hi-Ace van with everybody in it from uh, from Ireland, we had attended a wedding north of, uh, from my mother's side of the family, north of, uh, of uh, Dublin, mm -hmm. and uh, almost on the border with Northern Ireland. And, uh, and we drove all the way from there through, uh, through Ireland and down into, uh, down the West Coast, down the West Coast in Galway, and then down to, down to Abbey Fail, which is the name of the town. You can, you can actually Google it. You can see the farm that my, my uh, grandfather was born on. Uh, back in the uh, 19th century. But anyway, so we drove down, and you, it was interesting. Wherever we'd stop, you'd see that, that the, the landscape and the people themselves became much less British, as it were. Their influence was much less from Britain and much more Gaelic and much more Irish and deeply Irish, the further in, into the southwest you got. The Irish music that would be played, it was British music that was being played, pop music that was being played. Uh, in, in, in Dublin, but it was, um, it was a time of, you know, some of the, the big pop groups in the 1990s, Irish pop groups were very popular. And, uh, but then you'd get into the, uh, and get into the Southwest and you'd get, you know, you'd get the harps and the, you know, all the different things, uh, the, 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 the guitars, the, the, uh, violins. Uh, I went into my, I was requested to sing. I used to be a singer as a young man. Oh, and so I, cool. I was requested to sing when we, when we went into the, uh, to, the, 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 the Fitzgerald pub. The, the Fitzgerald pub uh, in Abbey. <laughs> Fabulous. So I had everything's, called, so I had everything's called Fitzgerald in Abbey. You know, yeah, everybody's a Fitzgerald yeah. there and you're related to everybody. Yeah. So it's quite an experience to go into an area like that and discover that you are. In fact, my my uh, my cousin said to me, he said, how exactly am I related to you? The one that owned the pub. 
He said, how exactly am I related to you? And I said, my grandfather and your grandfather were brothers. And he went, oh, my God, there's 50 people in this pub tonight. And he said, and I'm related to every one of them, and you're closer than any of them. And he was like, staggered away, you know. It's like, how did this happen, yeah. you know? So it was an for epi- him. An it was epic connection, a spiritual connection for you guys. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And it was a case where my, you know, my grandfather, it was would have been my grandfather's farm. He was the oldest son. And he he decided that he wanted to come to America. This would have been around the turn of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And so he let his brother, Ned, run the farm and said, you know, maybe I'll be back. Maybe I won't. I'll let you know anyway. So he went off to America and he became... You know, he, he landed at Ellis Island and then worked his way up to Massachusetts and, and married a McCarthy. And the McCarthys also, as it turned out, were from the same area as the uh, as the Fitzgeralds were. And so anyway, so and that's that was my family. My grandmother was a McCarthy and my father was a Fitzgerald. Grandfather was a Fitzgerald. And so uh, what happened was, is that in 1957, my father was born. He was once again the oldest son. And they did keep no, those... Right. 1957, he went back to Ireland, and they kept these the rules. Uh, you know, the primogenitor, very, very involved. In fact, the naming of the children of the boys in the family. You know, the oldest boy was supposed to be named after the father's father, and the second boy was to be named after the mother's father. That was the tradition, mm-hmm. and they, they followed it to a T. So, at any rate, my uh, my grandfather, my uh, my my great grandmother, apparently violated the the code of uh, primogenitor and 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 named my grandfather Mike instead of William, and mm-hmm. so the Williams go back. You know, the, 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 I've got photographs of about five generations of Williams, and there's one Mike in there. So uh, my brother is a William. My father was a William. So at any rate, uh, these traditions were carried on. So at any rate, we went back and. Uh, you know, and, and that was an experience, you know, Liz got to experience it. She got to walk in the same. My kids got to experience the place where my, you know, generations upon generations of my, my ancestors, uh, you know, grew up. So as if it was a very special privilege. To Beautiful know. connections for your family, for everybody, and the kids, especially as they grow up, having those connections really grounds you into something and it makes you somebody. You're not just by yourself. You're, you're with thousands of people that came before you it's an incredible experience i know i had the same thing when i went to sicily uh on my bavona uh-huh. side uh the town was seven thousand people and i think out of seven thousand three thousand of them were bavonas and they're all my cousins so i got the uh, key to the city and, and they were there for five it's 500 years as far as we can go back but i think it goes back farther uh we just don't oh, know like it just kept I'm going sure back and back and back i'm like the same carmelo alfonso carmelo uh my actual legal name is Charles, so but there's no such thing as Charles in Sicily. So we figured out it right. was Carmelo. My grandfather came. They changed his name when he came to America to Charles, but his real name was Carmelo. So it's Carmelo Alfonso, Carmelo Alfonso for 500 years, and it was incredible. Uh, so if wow. Silvana Bavona from Sicily is listening to this from Marineo, hi, cousin. Okay, now let's well, talk about John are, F. Kennedy. <laughs> yeah, excuse me. Yeah, well, actually, speaking of John F. Kennedy, there actually are Italian uh, Fitzgeralds, they're called Geraldinis, and they Geraldinis, were Geraldinis, and they communicated with the Fitzgeralds I, in Ireland. I did the DNA test. My uncle was doing a, a genealogy of, uh, mm-hmm. of, the, of the family, and so he had me, you know, he asked me if I would do it, so I did do it. So I get these emails from the DNA company that says, you know, that says, um, 
you are directly related i believe that was lorenzano was one of the towns okay mm -hmm. somebody in Lore lorenzano a young man in lorenzano had exactly the same dna that i did so right. th this is all part of the mythology of the fitzgerald family and jfk even gave a speech in italy uh, at one point talking about the fact that the Fitzgerald family, his branch of the Fitzgerald family, had come from Italy. So they're not exactly sure in what time period they came or how the connection was. In fact, there's a, you know, there's a, a number, the, the, the Trinity College series did this. Uh, they, they investigated this and this three or four different theories as to, you know, who exactly, how that exactly happened and what year it exactly happened and what war they became involved in. But but, it, but the Fitzgerald family does go back. And JFK, you know, he accepted it and he, he spoke about it and he actually delivered a speech in Italy over it when he was visiting. Question so, for you. His name is John Fitzgerald Kennedy, right? His mother okay, so, was a Fitzgerald. Right. So his mom, his mom was named... R Rose, Rose right? Fitzgerald. Rose yeah, Fitzgerald. Rose Fitzgerald. So you're related to Rose. Yeah, right. Yes. And she was not a Fitzgerald. Not, not the Kennedys. This is the Fitzgeralds side of the gotcha. family. Gotcha. Oh, there. Gotcha. <clears throat> so, and it's a huge family, as you said, like your family. Uh, you know, it, it goes back at least a thousand years. So. Incredible. So, tell tell me again now. Uh, fast forward to the assassination of John and F. Kennedy, and why you feel this was a seminal moment in American and world history, and why? Where are we going with this? Well, I think that um, you know the the whole tie into this this long history. I think is the reason because it does go back to a schism, okay, when um, Rome was split between the Church of England uh, and Rome. Uh, it established, the, I mean, the schism between the Fitzgeralds and, and London already existed because uh, their um, engagement with Ireland was already causing problems as they began to marry Irish and take on Celtic and ways become and powerful. become more powerful and take. It was and, there from the beginning, right? It was, it was, but it was, the, it it really became problematic in obviously the 15th century is when it went ballistic and ended up with the Desmond Wars and the uh, genocide against the Fitzgeralds by the Elizabethans, and that's the schism we're talking about. That that really was represented by JFK. And, and what he represented to uh, the, the, the sort of what's considered, I think, you know, the people who founded this country um, and the, you know, the pilgrims and the, you know, and the Puritans were all part of some aspect of Church of England or something Protestant, at least. And so these are things that, that people don't realize that they, they carry over from these ancient events. And there was one event in particular, it was the suppression of the Templars in 1307, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And the Templars were at that point, a very powerful knighthood. They had a lot of freedom. Uh, Rome let them do a lot of what they wanted. They had I'm sure you're so familiar with the Da Vinci Code and, and, yes. uh, and all of these. This right. all involves right. the Knights Templar. Okay, and they ended up so powerful uh, that the King of France and the Pope got together and decided that you know they'd cut them back. And what they did is they basically took all their power, took all their wealth, their lands, and they gave it all to basically the hospitalers who were Rome's knighthood against the Templars. At that point, though, it was all Rome. There was no Church of England. So eventually, uh, that suppression led to eventually the death of Jacques de Molay. He became the one who was the embodiment. He was the last um, grandmaster 
of the Templars. And, and he became the sort of the, the, the human uh, juncture that really gave a lot of the power to those who felt abused by, you know, by what Rome had done. Uh, and he was uh, eventually, and then, and then there was a huge, um, you know, a tyranny against the Templars. I mean, they were put on trial and, you know, most of them ended up, uh, you know, um, tortured, uh, burned at the stake and all that stuff. And so, but when Jacques de Molay was, was killed, um, and that would have been 13, like 14, something like that. No. Yeah. Um, we're talking about, in fact, actually, the, I think I should mention this, that it, it, the suppression of the Templars was November 22nd, right? So that date sounds a like... A papal bull was issued right. on November 22nd, 1307. Right. In which they were, they were, they were basically denounced right. and that, as heretics. That, that date became the day of revenge for the Templars, for the, what became the Masons eventually. So that is all part of the symbolism that's really telling you that something is going mm -hmm. on here. Why would JFK have been killed on November 22nd in Dealey Plaza, which was named after a 33rd degree Mason? So you've got a lot of, of, of hints that a lot of symbolism, and I know there's a lot of people, well, that's just a coincidence. Well, there's a point at which coincidence really doesn't explain these things away. And you'll have to really, you know, give in to the possibility, at least, that there is a motivation coming from certain people. And the election of JFK really coalesced a lot of the active hatred, especially in South Texas. For, for this Catholic intrusion into what they considered to be their country. And this was all part of, uh, you know, where these ideas were out there, but I don't think people outside of the ones who really were participating as active Masons and active participants in, um, you know, in what they felt about this country and who really controlled it, I don't think the average American would have taken that seriously. And I think that's one of the reasons why in the JFK assassination, you never hear about this aspect of it. It is simply not talked about. And it really is very um, obvious that when you look at the powerful people aligned with these issues, you could say, how could it not be? When you look at the Dulles brothers, I mean, many of these people were Masons. And, and, and their hatred of JFK may have not appeared at the time to seem to be outside of a geopolitical explanation. But if you add that to it, you see, maybe the Dulles brothers had more than just geopolitical justification. Um, J. Edgar Hoover, 33rd degree Mason, you know, they... Carol Ford. Right. So these, right, so, so the, these are things. And the death of Jacques de Molay is a very important date for these kinds of people. So when you combine all that together, you realize that these are layers of things that people do not, unless they're actively engaged in it, they, they, they don't even see it. And, and that really limits people's understanding of how some things really happen that that are in order to really address them if you can't talk about it you know they say about a problem how can you solve a problem if you're really not <laughs> sure what what motivated that event to happen i mean it's cbs news we did our first trip to afghanistan with cbs news and uh both dan rather and bob schieffer were part of that deal and uh 
they were very much a, a big part of it. And I think that Bob Schieffer is probably still has something to do with CBS News. I don't think Dan Rather's broadcasting any longer. But uh, at one point, I think that they were convinced that I had come in there. I had come to CBS News with the exclusive story to get into Afghanistan <clears throat> as, a, as a motive from the, because of, of the way they had handled the JFK assassination. Dan Rather especially. Dan Rather especially. Dan Rather was given a kind of exclusive to report on the actual the execution of Kennedy and what had happened that day when he was killed, and he had actually said that 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 the president had lurched in one direction. Well, the president actually had lurched in the opposite direction. Okay, he he misinterpreted what had happened for the audience, which of course the world audience wanted to know what the heck was all this about. So. He and Schieffer were both very much involved with the Kennedy assassination that day. Bob Schieffer had al also wound up apparently driving uh, Lee Harvey Oswald's mother from Fort Worth to Dallas. I mean, really? she, he was, she, yeah, I, I thought to myself, that is the strangest thing I have ever heard, you know? Yeah. And the, all you, you get all of these little bits and pieces together when you start putting them together. I mean, the, there's been so many books written about the Kennedy assassination and so many little you know, things that are here and there and whatnot, and uh, the kind of things that, uh, you know, you had absolutely no idea. I mean, we had a guy come up to us, a guy by the name of Al Lowenstein. I don't know if I mentioned this the last time we spoke with you, but he had been, uh, he was a researcher and he'd been involved very much in the campus activities back in the 1960s and youth organizing and whatnot. And, uh, and so he, he said to me, we were asked to, we were invited to hear Ted Kennedy speak up in New Hampshire one night. So Liz and I went when up. When he was running for president. When he was running, he was challenging yeah. Carter for and the Lowen nomination. Lowenstein was managing his campaign. Yeah, Al Lowenstein was uh, was managing his campaign. So we, we went in and he, he, when he met me and he heard that I was a Fitzgerald, and he said, since your family, he bent over quietly and said, we're not going to just blow the blow the doors open on Bobby Kennedy's assassination. We're going to go back to Jack's as well. He said, we've got all the people we need to come forward who knew about who was responsible for it and who did it. So he said, you know, he said, so what we need to do is we need to get Ted elected president so they can they won't come forward unless we have the protection of the presidency. And so he went back and I thought to myself, my God, what was that all about? So at any rate, he went back to New York, and a couple of weeks later, someone that he knew, he'd known from the 1960s, a student activist, walked into his office and shot him about 10 times with a pistol Ouch. that he had bought specifically for that particular uh, killing. And uh, he, the kid was, you know, put the gun down on the desk and waited for the police to come. So it was one of those, you know, Sirhan, Sirhan type program killings that, you had to say to yourself, you know, there's something going on here that's coming from a very, very deep place, a deep and dark place. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, but being a Fitzgerald, you know, it, it, it would crop up periodically. It would be like one of those synchronicity things that, you know, somebody would say, oh, since you're a Fitzgerald, then, you know, you know what's really going on, that kind of thing. You know? <laughs> right. I said, oh, do I really? Do I really know? And I'd say to myself, say to Liz, we better find out what's yeah, really right. going well, on. That's actually the motivation yeah. for doing all the research. So, so that's really, the motivation yeah, because, yeah. you know, it's kind of like all these, 
It's like something is going on here. There's no question about it. There's a 1,000 years of secrets are being lifted. Is that correct? Exactly. Exactly. And family feuds that go back. And then when you bring, you know, Italy and you bring Rome into the mix and, uh, you know, the family, one of the things that this Trinity College study pointed out was the fact that, you know, in the 15th century, in the 14th century, the Earls of Desmond uh, were, were, they wanted to find that direct connection back to Rome. And the family mythology claimed that from the very beginning, when they arrived in 1169, was that the family had fled Troy uh, and then had helped to establish Rome itself, the city of Rome, and then migrated into Gaul, what was then you know, Gaul and uh, as part of Rome itself and uh, as part of the Roman, the Roman experience, let's put it that way, right. as part of the Roman Empire. And then, of course, became staunchly Roman Catholic after that. So obviously, well, we, so where, where, now the, where can we find this detailed information that you're writing about and researching? Is it in your writings? Is it in your books? Be, be specific with our readers. I want them to know where to find it because I want to read it. It's super interesting. So tell us about that. Well, the, the the best place to get the detailed history of the Fitzgeralds and our whole experiences it would be the Valediction Resurrection. That's book two. There is an introduction to it in book one, but that really focuses far more on our Afghanistan adventures with Dan Rather and mm-hmm. um, the, me- the mainstream media that eventually led us to realizing we had to go dig into this ancient family history to get the kind of answers that had been kind of opened up to us uh, when we had the mainstream media experience of the narrative creation process. And that's part of what we realized about JFK. He was basically living in a, in a, in a narrative that seemed to be alive of its own volition um, and that they could never stop it. And there's a lot of people who wanted to stop it. And that's part of what we were able to sort of unravel. And that's part of the way in which we presented it in the valediction resurrection incredible you know okay. it's very it's very, yeah oh god i'm sorry please, please continue Paul. no i was just going to say it's very interesting too because um uh you know uh, the, there's a very mystical aspect to uh to, to afghanistan afghanistan is considered to be you know the the man who would be king and all this other stuff okay in kafiristan up in the mountains we actually uh, you know it's referred to as nuristan now the, uh, the, the, the city of light, the, the, the mountain of light. So yeah, there's this kind of ancient Zoroastrian idea of the war of light against dark and good versus evil and, and uh, being, you know, being drawn to Afghanistan for this and then sitting down for my first interview when I got there with a mullah who was, you know, high, some high-level mullah in the Afghan government. And he said, I can see by your face he said that you have been sent by God to tell the story of Afghanistan. And it's like, it kind of knocks you away a little bit, you know, when you realize that you've got a responsibility to to this ancient legendary uh, force that's at work in Afghanistan, you know. And, and you know, it's interesting. I mean, I grew up in the Catholic Church. I was a, I was a singer. I was in the choir. You know, I sang the sacred music all the time. And, and uh, you know, I had to admit that I, I didn't really feel feel that kind of connection to the sacred until I got to Afghanistan because it's still there and everybody who's been there everybody who's worked there been in and out of there a lot of Americans have been in and out of there since since I was there 
which was 1981. Which was way. starting off in 1981. And, wow. and uh, you know, they've all, they all say the same thing. And we, we encountered a lot of news people along the way who said the same thing. We sat down with a Time, news, uh, Time uh, magazine correspondent when we were there in 2002 and uh, interviewed him about his experience. And he said, you know, he had a dream with, uh, he, had, he had gone, he'd stopped off in Kabul on his way to Delhi. He was working on his PhD and he was going to go to Delhi to get his PhD and he stopped off in Kabul and he met this mullah and he befriended him. And he said, they struck up a friendship, an acquaintanceship. And uh, he said, when the Soviets invaded in 1979, he said he had a dream with the mullah, and the mullah asked him if he would please come back to Afghanistan. So the, it's interesting. You say, well, isn't that interesting, you know? And then I found this uh, this uh, congressional report that was published uh, back in the 1980s about uh, uh, the mujahideen, freedom fighters, and uh, that's what they were referred to as. And, and uh, it said specifically they were complaining, the con a number of congressional people were complaining about the fact that they, they were exporting drugs to in order to support the cause against the, the war. And so they asked the Mujahideen, would they please use their mystical communication network to please stop hurting the hand that feeds them, stop feeding the, the, the West the drugs that you're using to, to fight the Russians. So at any rate, um, <clears throat> there was clearly something there that was missing. So that was another motivation for writing The Valediction and uh, the two books of The Valediction. Incredible. So by reading those two books, we're going to get deep into the details of what you researched, correct? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. But and it, you'll get the feel, the step-by-step -step process by which we understood right. these things were happening. And why awesome. we went from uh, investigative journalism into this whole mystical realm and, and dream interpretation and the role it played in getting us back to Ireland and into the mythical nature of the Fitzgerald uh, legacy and what that meant to JFK and why he is still so important to all of us. Yeah. Um, before I let you go today, uh, first of all, all the readers and listeners, please get their book. I mean, clearly go get the book. I mean, it's going to be awesome to read, find out the details, get all that information. I, I wanted to ask you folks, uh, because you're so learned in the media sphere uh, you've been involved in the mainstream media. You've been involved in alternative media. Uh, you know, right now we have a media, what I consider a media crisis in the United States. Um, we had the, the Clinton administration deregulate with Telecommunications Act in 1996, uh, and it changed the media landscape. Uh, as you probably know, the Dominion versus Fox News uh, trial is about to start in April. Um, all the documents are leaking out. Rupert Murdoch's been... Uh, quoted uh, under the court documents, he's been saying stuff like, yeah, he knows it's a big lie and he doesn't stop his people from saying it. His anchors know it's a big lie. They don't care. They just say whatever. Um, it's, to me, it's a crisis in media. Uh, we're, we're having a very bad uh, presentation of the facts in the United States. Being that you've been around so long, can you give me some insight into how you see it, what perspectives you see, and what solutions or changes or maybe one or two things Americans can hope for or do to take action to, to help themselves here? Well, I would definitely recommend that they run as fast as they can and they get valediction three nights of Desmond because that is our media experience with the mainstream media, with CBS News, ABC's Nightline, PBS, and more, and how we confronted, if you think things are 
problematic today. The problem for most people is that they thought back then it was all pretty straightforward and honest, and it wasn't. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what we have to factor in, that there was a, there was a, a, a manipulation of the narrative that has been going on forever. I mean, you really ca can go back to uh, Hearst in uh, 1898 well, right. when, you know, when the Spanish-American War w w went on and it was a completely misrepresented story to get the war going. So Isn't we that know where the term yellow the journalism came from? Yes, exactly, yes, exactly. Yes. We know that there's been something like that, but I don't think people realize the level to which, and that's why if you read our book, Three Nights of Desmond, you will get an inside look at the highest level of the creation of the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, which is a completely misrepresented narrative. Most people think that Charlie Wilson's War, the, the, the book that about Representative that Charlie Wilson, wrote, that George right. Kyle wrote, was pretty much somewhat accurate on the overall uh, role the U.S. played in Afghanistan. That is the propaganda story, 100%. It has nothing to do with hap what happened, and that's why you have to read Valediction, Three Nights of Desmond, to find Incredible. out how that narrative was created. Okay, we'll, we'll leave it there. I want to thank you for being on the show today. Paul Fitzgerald and Elizabeth, Elizabeth Gould, complete American treasures. Uh, thank you for sharing all your wisdom and knowledge with us. Um, we'll, hope for have, we'll have you back again on the show uh, uh, for the next time we can talk about these issues, and I want to thank you again for being on the show. Thank, thank you, you, Johnny. Have a terrific day, okay? Okay. You too. If you enjoyed this presentation, hit the like button now. Also, share it with your friends. And don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. VT approves this message.